The Lord be with you. I want to share with you tonight from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. And I'm going to read, it's kind of a lengthy reading, but it's one of those crazy stories that Jesus told, and I'd rather you see this is in the Bible. And so, let me read it from Matthew's Gospel in chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like... Incidentally, that would um, it mean this is the way the kingdom of God operates. This is the way of the kingdom. So the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning, that would be around 5 a.m., to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius, which is, that's a day's pay, um, for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. Then he went out about the third hour. That was nine o'clock in the morning. Their day started at six. So third hour is nine in the morning. He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. To those he said, you also go into the vineyard. Whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour, that's noon and three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, that is five o'clock in the afternoon, he went out and found others standing around. He said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too. When the evening came, that is six o'clock, their day was from six to six. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. That's odd. When those hired about the 11th hour, five o'clock in the afternoon came, each one received a whole day's pay. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a full day's pay. When they received it, that is, those who came first in the morning, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour. You've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a full day's pay? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. You see what I mean? That is obviously not a story telling us how to run our businesses. Um, no, it begins very rightly. It says, this is how the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God works. It's the way it is. That is, don't try to think of the kingdom of God after the order of the natural. Don't think of the kingdom of God operating according to any laws that you know on this planet. The kingdom of God is totally different. And that little phrase there is the key to this story. And let me say very quickly, just to get it out of the way, the kingdom of God, you must not think of it again in terms of a natural kingdom, which has boundaries and borders, and where the king or the president lives in some remote place and 99% of persons have never met uh, the the king or uh, whatever no that that's not i forget forget that the kingdom of god is jesus immediately i mean closer than breathing immediately present to us here and now through the holy spirit and present to us in the spirit he is achieving his love agenda so that's the kingdom of heaven. And now he says, this is how it works. Okay, let, let's look at one or two things about this story. 
the the owner of the story is Jesus. That that is unquestionable. That's what Jesus was making plain to those who listened to him, which I might say were mostly the religious and temple leaders. And, and he he places himself under the guise of the owner of a vineyard who goes out, and I might note continually all day long. That was unusual. Normally the owners went out just at five in the morning. But this owner, this Jesus, is relentless. He goes out throughout the day seeking to invite persons to come and join him in his venture. It was, you've read about these people elsewhere in the New Testament called hired servants. They, they, They were, what, they were, independence they were jack of all trades and they would be in the marketplace at about 4:35 in the morning when the ranchers or those who needed someone to come and work for them they would arrive in the same marketplace and they would some of you in big cities have seen this when persons who need work and they assemble outside a factory and the Foreman comes out and say, hey, you, you and you come, got a job for the day. Well, that's exactly what it was. The owners went and they picked out the men who looked as if they could handle the task in hand and they had a job for the day. It was very important. They looked upon work as a gift because these men had nothing else. As I said, they were independents. And so they lived and their wife and children at home lived or starved and lost their house and probably starved to near death if they didn't get work. Work was by the day. Work, it it was a fragile thing to these people and could easily be destroyed in a couple of weeks. And so they were there with great hope and anticipation, waiting for the voice of landowners and ranchers to say, you, you, and you, and thanks be to God, I've got to work for the day. They, because of what they were, you see, they they were not career workers. They could do just about a bit of anything. um, But essentially their work, the work of a hired servant, was to participate in the agenda or the purpose or the plans of the one who hired them. Do you get that? They're standing there and they're ready for anything. They've got no agenda of their own. Their only hope and agenda is somebody says you and they're called. Um, But after that, the moment they're called, they have entered into the purpose Shall I dare to say the dreams, the agenda of whoever it is that hired them? And that will be their agenda and their purpose for the length of time that they are with this person. And so under the guise of the landowner, Jesus goes into the marketplace and he's inviting these persons into his agenda. He's calling them and of course you're the one he's calling, aren't you? And he's calling you to join his dream, to join his purpose, his love agenda. And and he calls our name. Now, that's the general background of this. But you see, the first ones, those at 5, 5.30 in the morning, they're different to the others. And there's a little word that gives the game away. Did you notice as we were reading, it says that they agreed, they agreed on how much they were going to get paid. Okay, that means there was what was common to this situation. There was, and I'll call it an argument, maybe not a debate, it is something, have you ever traveled to the Middle East? Have you ever been in Asia? And whatever price that you see in the window on a garment or whatever uh, is not the price that you're going to pay. Uh, 
unless you're an uneducated American. But you, you go in there and the haggling starts. You know what that is? Uh, you say, I'll give you this. And the man says, no way, no way, I won't take that. And so he offers something. You offer back and he goes on. It can take half an hour to buy something. And when it's all said and done, you're both happy with what you're going to pay. Well, that was common way of life in these days. And so when it says agreed, it means there was a back and forth. These people, the first ones hired, they wanted a contract. That is, they wanted a guarantee. They wanted security that if we work so long, then you will pay us so much. And it was agreed. And that's the key word for them. They agreed. But when he goes out at nine o'clock, at noon, at three, at five, it's different. There is no agreement. There's no contract. Did you notice that? Instead, he says he would treat them fairly. Or that word you could say he would treat them with justice or justly. He would treat them right. And that word is akin to the word used all through the Bible, righteousness. And he says, it's okay. So they didn't have a contract. Their guarantee was the word of the owner. Are you following me on this? The first workers, they had a contract and they'd argued it, and they're working for money at the end of the day, and by George, they're going to get it. Whereas the rest of them, they didn't have a contract. They trusted the word of this rancher, and they trusted that he would do them right and give them justice. It would be a fair pay for the hours they're going to work. And so they go off to the ranch, right down to the ones who went at the end of the day. And this is where, well, the story's been getting weirder by the minute. Hiring people at three in the afternoon, um, that, that's bad enough. You know, I mean, they, they've got to get to the vineyard. And when they get there, they've got to get orientated a little bit, find out where the tool shed is, and probably grab a cup of coffee and, you know, get started, but by that time it's nearly half past three anyway. But now at five o'clock, now this story is getting ridiculous. He hires someone, or some person, when there's only an hour left before the end of the day. And again, how much they actually worked is hard to say. But here it is. The end of the day has come, and now it's the climax of the story. Odd things have been happening, but the climax of the story is telling us how the kingdom of God works. Please understand it. This, I say again, do not try and run your business on these principles. This is the way the kingdom of God works. And Jesus told this story and in so doing reveals the heart of God. For when it comes to this moment, when the owner tells the foreman to start paying them for their work, and he lines them up, and I, I noted it as we read, it, it's, it, now we're getting really strange. It says that the ones who came in at five o'clock were going to be the first ones paid. And those who came in at, uh, you know, six o'clock in the morning, they're going to be the last ones paid. That wasn't the way it worked. You, you paid those that came in first and off they went. And, and then those who came in later, they get paid and off they go. No, this is what, no, the owner, and I see a twinkle in his eye. The owner's getting a kick out of this. He, he says those who came in last are going to get paid first. So what does that mean? It means that those who were there since six in the morning are going to watch. Yes, they're going to see how much those who worked for an hour are paid. That's important. And they do. But what is happening here, I say again, is the heart of the owner that's being revealed. And he is being revealed as the most generous, that would be a weak word, that this, he is shown to be good. He's shown to be 
kind all to the point of falling off the edge of the map. I mean, this is benevolence taken to the nth degree, what he does. Those listening to this story are, and those words that we've addressed in prior being together, they were astonished and they were amazed. What is this person talking about? Because he pays them. They've only worked an hour, but he paid them a day's wage. Yes, he paid them a day's wage for working one hour. And those who have been working all day are watching. And remember, their mindset is what they're going to get out of this. Their whole idea of a contract is let's nail down what we're going to get paid. And now they're watching. They worked for an hour. They got paid for a whole day, which means he, he, he's paying a day's wages per hour. And they get out their uh, calculators and start working. What on earth are we going to get? I mean, we've been working since six o'clock. And and for every hour, we're going to get paid a whole day's wage. And they're getting very excited as they watch this, which is beyond their comprehension. But you see, the fact is, now we're getting to the guts of this story, the owner is not paying wages. Please understand this. This owner does not have it in him to pay wages. Okay, what are wages? Wages are when the worker gives himself or herself, gives themselves in exchange for cash. Actually, your wages are your very self turned into dollars and cents. You see... You, you have given your strength, you've given your brain, you've given your very self, and that has been exchanged for your monetary uh, wages. Well, this owner has reversed that. What is happening here, the owner is giving himself, and he is giving what he has earned throughout his life, and he is giving it to the workers as a free gift. For what he gave them is in no way equal to their work done. So do do you get this? He's not paying them wages because they have not given themselves for a day. So The cash they're receiving is not in any way equivalent to that. What is happening, the owner, this incredible owner that Jesus portrays himself as, in his extreme kindness and generosity, gives himself to those that were hired to work. And he then pays them. Out of what? Out of what he has earned over the years. He's giving to them his earnings. He gives them his self, which means it's a gift. A gift. And it's a free gift to them, but very costly to him. Do you get that? Well, then let's follow. The owner told these men that the way he would pay them would be fair. It would be true justice and righteousness. Then what Jesus is describing here is God's fairness. It's God's justice. It's his righteousness. Please understand this. This, where God gives himself to us and rewards us out of the bounty of his love, his blessing. He gives it to us and gives it to us with no reference to what we have done or not done. He gives it because that's the way he is. And Jesus is saying that is God's justice. That's his righteousness. Well, what part do I play then? 
Under these circumstances, the only part the receiver of the gift can play is to trust with thanks. I mean, what else can I do? The owner is giving himself to me and giving out of his private purse, then my place can only be with amaze, stunned, standing beside myself. Amazement. I trust this owner. He means it. I take his gift and do so with great joy. And with thanks, there's nothing else. There's no other part I can play. I say again, this part of the story, this payday, if you want to call it that, that this giving of the gift of his very self to those would-be workers, it's a revelation of his heart, the owner's heart. I underscore that because it is nothing to do with the worker's ability. It has nothing to do with what the workers did or didn't do. It has everything and only to do with the kind of person the owner is and what he intends to do. Do you get that? This this story, Jesus is saying, this is the way of the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with what you do or don't do. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with your achievements. It has only to do with the heart of God, with the heart of the owner who delights to give to the likes of you. As I said, the owner was standing by watching this happen, and I can only see the sheer delight in his eyes. I can see that he's almost tapping his feet, ready to dance when he sees the look on the faces of these people that they are receiving his goodness and his gift. Or, as I think I said last week, God owns his love. That's so important that you see this. God owns his love. It's got nothing to do with whether you say thank you or get lost. His love, he owns it. You don't control God's love. You don't maximize it or minimize it by your response. God loves you because that's who he is. This man gave the gift to those workers because that's the way he is. And it has nothing to do with what time was on their clock. It doesn't matter whether they worked an hour, half an hour, all day long. He pays out of his own heart. And he is the gift. He gives himself. This is, the Bible word is grace. You might have guessed that by now. Grace is the way of the kingdom. The reason some people never come to enjoy their salvation is because they haven't seen it. Well, Jesus said you can't enter the kingdom of God. You can't even see the kingdom of God uh, until you come to this grace. And what, what is grace? Let me read to you from John in chapter 1, verse 14 and on. The Word became flesh. That's Jesus. Jesus is the Word, the outspeaking of of the Father. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And you could say that word full, uh, almost overflowing would be an apt word. Uh, if you take it in the context of the whole passage, full, overflowing with grace, with givingness, and with the truth concerning who God is. John bore witness of him, cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness, you see, of his overflow, we have all received, and grace upon grace, like the waves of the sea, grace, 
You know, on the seashore, great, the wave comes in then, and grace, and it comes in a bit further. Wave upon wave, wave upon wave, fullness upon fullness, like a, a great ocean pouring into the sands of our life. We've all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. He said that that gift is no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God, Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, has explained him. God gave himself to us. The gift of God is God. The gift is the giver. The giver is the gift. You see, grace. What do you mean when you say grace? Grace is not some disembodied, impersonal energy. I don't know if you think that, but listening to people talk, I think sometimes that's what they're trying to say, that this kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling maybe, or looking back, we know we had some strange strength to go through, and we call it grace, grace. But you see, the grace of God, we just read it, the grace of God is infinitely bodied. That is, grace became flesh and lived among us. That incarnation, that's God giving himself into our human. An infinitely personal God, the original person, is now inside our human, one with us. And, and, and the energy is, is the resurrection. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is continually giving himself into us. Grace, heaped upon grace. Do you get that? Grace is actually the Holy Spirit forever bringing all the fullness of Jesus into your life. So grace enlightens us. Uh, Grace is being empowered by the immediate personal presence of the Lord Jesus in the Spirit. There's no other way to the kingdom of God. This isn't the way things began. I, I was sort of raised on that. You know, you came in for free, but now you're in. Here's the book of rules. Um, No, this is the way it all works. Let me read another rather lengthy passage to you, but it's so important. Ephesians 2 and 4. He says, but God, that's the biggest but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Notice that. That's, that's God's ownership of his love. He loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That is, he initiated, he started, he's the first here. He first loved us and made us alive together with Christ. Sheer gift. We didn't do a jolly thing. We just said thank you. And raised us up with him. It gets better by the minute. And seated us with him ascended with Christ in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come, He, notice this has got nothing to do with us yet, except what He has done and is doing to and in us. So in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He said, wherever you turn here, wherever you turn, it's gift, it's gift, it's gift, it's gift. And it's, uh, as it, I mean, almost, it sounds redundant that he said it's not of works. You've got nothing to boast in. 
Now, he's speaking here to believers. This grace covers all of life. The grace of God is the Holy Spirit penetrating into our deepest mind and imagination, down into the deepest depths of our hopes and our fears. It's the Holy Spirit getting inside our mind and all that we've accrued from our ancestors, that whole body that comes down through the ages. God's grace by the Holy Spirit comes right into the very depths of our being and there enlightens us to the truth, which means the collapse of that whole jolly thing. And we realize who God really is, who Jesus really is, who we really is. Covers all. There's no secular. Covers your deepest spirit. Covers your mind and emotions. Into your body too, for he's the healer of our bodies. Comes into our jobs and our family. Grace, grace, grace. His gift, his gift, his gift. Always giving his love, giving his kindness, giving his generosity, giving his blessing. From start to finish, all things are given freely. And this giving is always now. Religion will always tell you it is when. Religion lives in the past, you know, when things used to be different, when people were, well, that was it. When there was a revival, God did something. You're not doing any more, but it was when. And then it's when, future, when you get your act together, when you start believing properly, when you start repenting properly, when you are fit for God to do something for you, it's all when, when, when. No, this is always free, which means it's always now. Could I say it like this, that the direct route into the heart of God is this present moment. That's why religion never gets there, because it lives in the past and it lives in a nebulous future. There's no way from either place into God's heart. But from now, in this present moment, now, this is where Jesus is. This is where the Holy Spirit dwells. And through Jesus, through the Spirit, we are there freely in the, in the presence, total presence of God. And in that presence, grace is always limitlessly enough. My grace is sufficient. Whatever your need is in this now moment, the grace of God, the gifting of God is. And even the faith by which we take that is the gift of God. We read that in that last scripture. Faith is the gift of God. How so? Because this faith is not something you generate from within you by willpower. This faith is a response to this incredible gifting of God. And therefore it's the gift that generates the faith. There they stood. I'd like to see them. As they receive what they never in their wildest dreams expected, a whole day's pay, out of the gifting of the owner. Hmm. It's, you could say that love broke through. Suddenly, this is not about people working and working for wages. It's broken through. We see who this owner is. And we see that all this is nothing to do with us. That's both terrifying and a relief all at the same time. If it's not to do with us, then we are cast upon trusting in his love. And what has happened? He's no longer the boss. How could he be the boss? He's just given himself to this bunch of workers and he's given out of his own pocket pay for work they didn't do. That's established a relationship. That's made this man their dearest friend. (laughs) Amazing friend. Astonishing friend. Are you getting what the kingdom of God really is? When you understand the grace of God, love breaks through. Suddenly, I understand it. He loves me. And 
that this entire salvation has nothing to do with me. In terms of, did I do enough? Do I do right? Did I repent enough? Did I believe? No, it's got nothing to do with you. It's to do with love and love that totally took your place for Jesus entered into your human. And taking your place, he representing you, standing instead of you as you carried you through death to resurrection. And here you are seated now, seated with the Holy Trinity by sheer grace, by sheer gift. Nothing you have done is all to do with God. He started this. He planned this. This is what he willed to do. This is what he's done. And this is what the Holy Spirit now achieves, actualizes in you. So you could say the grace of God elevated them. They they were hired servants in, in the marketplace, living literally from hour to hour, penny to penny. They've been elevated. They're elevated from workers to being the personal friend of the owner, a friend now of the person who values them. This owner has bestowed a worth upon them. It's not a worth that you did a jolly good job and, okay, here's the pay and I'll see you maybe. some other. No, this is the owner that bestows a worth of their person. Not, not because you did that, this or the other, but because of who you are. I bestow my love, my generosity, my gift upon you. Oh, do you know who? Do you know who you are? Do you, do you know how this works? God has bestowed His love, His goodness, His generous generosity upon you, and that has given to you, and I mean given to you, worth and value and significance. It's got nothing to do with everybody else says. It's got nothing to do with your achievements, it's to do with the fact that your Creator looks in your deeper self and says, you are worth the giving of my total self to you, to pour my blessings into you. And and they're not, when that happens, they don't grovel. You know, some of our dear friends, they, they think every time they think about these things. They're supposed to bend their body and, and beat their heart and say, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. And that's supposed to be spiritual. No, nowhere in the Scripture. Nowhere. I don't know where they get that from. It's nowhere in the Scripture do we grovel before. There's no groveling, none whatsoever. There's no whining that I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. It's rather giving thanks to God. There's even dancing in response. There's hands raised, there's clapping, there's singing of joy. A joy that is called unspeakable and full of glory. A joy in which Isaiah said, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Or as Deuteronomy says, he he brought you out of slavery to stand erect to receive with joy. And, let me say yet again, the owner was getting a great kick out of this. It's a setup, um, the way he did it. And, and, and so, the, the, joy of the, the joy of the owner was that he is giving himself to these who least expected it. And they now are participating in the owner's joy. Do you get that? The owner's joy is I'm giving you my very self and I'm watching you enter with amazement into it very well. When you joy in what I've done, you've entered into my joy and we joy together. Hmm, what a sight. The grace of God. Oh, but just a minute, you see. Those who thought themselves to be first, uh, the, 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 I understand, I really do understand how they thought this whole thing wasn't fair. I mean, they have been there all day long. But they, they missed the point from the get-go. 
They didn't trust the owners any further than they could see him. That's why they wanted a contract. That's why they wanted security. They couldn't trust his word. They couldn't trust his heart. And, and, and so now, when they get their contract is fulfilled, they get a day's pay. Their initial excitement when they've been adding up if he's going to pay a day's pay for every hour, suddenly they realize that's not the case. Now it's turned to horror. They're being paid according to the contract. And, and they're, they're looking at these other workers who are holding their day's pay for the few hours they'd worked and and there's joy at that end of the line, but at this end of the line, there's there's anger, there's rage. How 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 could he do this? We worked, and they begin now to compare themselves and say, "We did so much more. We're so much more worthy. Look at the work we did in the scorching heat of the day. Poor us, poor us." Complain, murmur, grumbling. They're, they're totally blind to the generous heart and intentions of the owner. I wonder what the story would have been if there at 5.30 in the morning they had said to the owner, we trust you that you're going to do what is right. Oh no, they've got to have the haggling and you pay us it. Well, they're blind to the generous heart, blind to the intentions. Now they see the money in the hands of these other folk and, and, and they're envious. And they're saying it's not right. It's not fair. It's not justice. Oh, but Jesus has already told us that what he did with these people in giving himself to them, that's God's justice. That's his righteousness. If you believe concerning the kingdom of God what these firstcomers believed, then you've missed the righteousness of God, you say. You've missed God's fairness. You've missed his justice. In fact, if that's where you are, you will join these complainers and see yourself as a victim of grace. You compare your hard work to the work of these others who did next to nothing. We claim our right based on our work. That is, it's all about us. This is time to let the Holy Spirit really search all of us. Is it all about us? Is it all about how much I believed? Is it all about my work for God? Or is it all about His love that is so crazy He includes me and you and all of us together? and blesses us, places us in Christ. See, the Old Testament reveals, as this parable does, that, that God never changes. The God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament. Same God of love and grace, same love. The law actually reveals the love of God. And before you um, change your mind on that, uh, read the law. Very, 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 very few people have read it. Uh, read the law back there in uh, the, the first five books of the Bible. Read it. And the love of God comes through all over the place. It sounds very negative because the people didn't want that love and they didn't want to keep it. So it comes sort of negative. But it was human beings that took that beautiful love law of God and turned it into a contract in order to earn their acceptance by a love that was already given. It's no wonder that when people heard Jesus, you either accepted this grace with hilarious joy or you went into rage as your world collapsed in the presence of the grace that is Jesus. These people were offended by love, offended by grace. Why? Because they couldn't control it, you see. Can't control it. I can't say you're in and you're out because of what you did and you didn't. 
They couldn't say that because he didn't do enough, oh God, you can't love him now, not until he's got better. And, and you will love this person because they've done, you see, that's trying to control God's love. God owns his love. You can't control him. And that sends the human, natural human flesh into conniptions. I can't control. God loves me. God loves me whether I've done or haven't done. God loves me because God is love. That's grace, God giving himself to me. And I can't control that and I'm offended by that. You've demeaned me. Okay, let me say this. And really, I suppose I should give you an hour on this. But the love of God, the grace of God, and I use this word carefully, torments the flesh that lives by the law. Did you hear that? The love of God, just God being God. God being God in Christ. God giving himself to us in Christ. Just being their holy triune self. That torments the flesh. That draws out the rage of the flesh. It was because of this that the temple leaders joined with the Roman might powers crucified Jesus. Do you, do you understand that? I mean, this grace, this love, is no small thing. This isn't a warm, fuzzy feeling on a November morning. This, this is why religion joined with government power crucified Jesus. That's how much it offended them. That's how much it tormented them. They had to get rid of him. There's a marvelous verse in the book of Revelation, and it speaks of a company who were tormented in the presence of the Lamb. That's a thought, isn't it? Just to be in the presence of the Lamb torments those who live by their own works and achievements. Hmm, what a thought. Compare the elder brother in that other parable Jesus told as he comes up against the grace bestowed upon his younger brother and he comes up against the kindness and generosity and love of his father. And what's his response? Rage, self-divorce from the family, insulting his father. Isn't that amazing? You see, the flesh will not receive the grace of God. You'll find often a person who doesn't understand the grace of God will not receive charity from another human. Have you noticed that? A person will not receive a gift. They, they, they own it. They're going to earn it, whether it be God or man. Flesh is blind and deaf. It doesn't understand the grace of God to the, to the flesh. Grace is insanity, an insult to the flesh. Flesh is driven by that inner must earn, must deserve, must be worthy. I've got to prove myself. God will accept me. So therefore the flesh knows nothing of relationship with God. Nothing, nothing. You, you meet our dear friends who haven't seen the grace of God and that they find it just about impossible to worship. I mean... Until you've seen the love of God, how can you worship? What is there to worship? Worship is, is that ultimate explosion of joy and praise and thanks to the God who is all and has done all. And, and, and I stand before him, my heart is dancing, my mouth is wide open in wonder and astonishment. Yeah, that, it's, it's grace that evokes worship. But I mean... Hallelujah, that Hebrew word, which means praise to Yah, God. Hallel, praise Yah, God, the God who has revealed himself in giving love. Hallelujah. Well, I suppose the flesh would have to say Hallel me, because that's where their whole hope of salvation is. I believe enough. And you see, if I, if I, I don't believe enough by Wednesday, I need to get saved again, because the whole thing hangs on me. 
And if I make it through a whole month without getting saved again, well, hallel me. I, I, do you understand? It's nothing to do with us. Our faith is a response to the God who has done all and given himself. Our change of mind, repentance, is because in the light of that love, I look at life and say, everything changes, everything changes. So, grace is the way of the kingdom. Can't see the kingdom until you see the grace of God. And I mean that, I said it before, but let me say it again, it's minute by minute. This isn't just getting saved. This is living this life. We, we, we just learn to live in the posture of reception. We learn to live trusting the gift, the gift that keeps on giving, the gift that is the person of Jesus who is now filling our lives, filling us, filling the place where we are through the Holy Spirit. And that's why every epistle, at least almost every epistle, begins with the words, and I, I, I'll use Ephesians, I mean I could use almost any epistle, but it begins by saying, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a statement. Grace to you. It's not just talking about something that sort of is somewhere. This is grace released. This is grace sent. This is grace arriving into my life. Grace to you and peace. Where does it come from? From God our Father, who is immediately present, giving to you. And the Lord Jesus Christ, God from God. Or what about that great benediction in 2 Corinthians 13, 14? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is the gift and the love of God that he reveals and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in which this all happens and works. Be, here's that word again, be released, be with you. And that word with, it's, I mean, it really means with. It means wherever you are, whatever you do, Whatever you hope to do tomorrow, whatever you're doing now, into your life with you. Well, there it is. I can say no more except the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you tonight. And now, may the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be with you. His blessing permeate your life that you might live freely, hilariously in the grace that comes to you through Jesus. So I bless you and so it is. Amen.